All right, guys, welcome. How's everyone doing? I gotta be honest with you, so summers are like kind of hit and miss just in church in general, and I did a wedding last night, and then Chelsea and I drove here, and Chelsea's like, how you feel? Are you good? And I was like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, there's gonna be no one here. And then all of you showed up, so great. <laughs> awesome, way to put the pressure on at the last minute. Um, no, but hey, welcome to Resonate. My name is Josh. If this is your first time here, like, sincerely, welcome. We are a church for literally everybody, and we take that immensely seriously. And I'm gonna talk about that this morning in a big way. Um, before I do that, I just love to pray. We're going to talk about peace this morning. We're right in the middle of this series called Faith is Blank. And what we're doing during the summer is just filling in that blank. And those aren't blanks that I'm providing. These are actually either questions of faith that you guys had or they're actually like statements of faith that you guys had. So what we did is we, Bobby, who's not here this morning, by the way, I should announce that. Um, Bobby's art show is tonight at Upper West at 4 p.m. It's actually not night, that's afternoon. But 4 p.m., if you can be there, be there. It's going to be really, really awesome. Uh, when you see what Bobby actually does, like, outside of this church, like, it's just, it's unbelievable. She is so talented, uh, and we would love to show up and support her in a big way. So um, 4 p.m., Upper West. If you get there early, she said there's, like, uh, free food available, so get there early and be that church. <laughs> like, what are all these church people doing eating everything? Um, but yeah, anyway, so we're, we're, she painted uh, a painting of the church, and what we did as a church was pin up what we believed faith to be, or questions of faith, or statements of faith, uh, and I've just been plucking from that all summer long uh, as we explore what faith means and what faith is, and this morning uh, is all about peace, and even more than peace, and we're going to talk about this, is about shalom, which is a very fancy word, uh, but it's very, very simple and very, very deep. And I believe it has a lot to teach us this morning. So um, let, me, let me pray for us, and then let's get into this. Lord, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just struck with what you're doing in this community and in this space. Um, I'm struck as I, I see four people in a band in the corner. And at one point, Lord, that was how many people were sitting in this congregation. And I'm blown away uh, at what you're doing and how you're moving. Um, and God, as we, as we talk about shalom in a violent, oppressive, oftentimes awful world, I just pray that uh, we would be those messengers of peace. We would be the people that want to go out there and actually show who you are. Because uh, at the end of the day, that's the, that's the whole reason we do this, is not to be in spaces like this and just rah-rahing each other and fist-bumping because we're all Christians. No, it's, it's going out into the world and actually putting this stuff into practice so that we can make this world look a whole lot more like heaven. So Lord, I, I pray that as I speak this morning, you'd be with us, and more importantly, as we gather in the space in our lobby to hang afterwards, you'd be in that, and you'd be in that in mighty ways. Amen. Uh, so, uh, let's talk about this word, uh, shalom. So shalom is a Hebrew word. And it's actually the most important word we have as Christians, and yet we don't use it all that much. Like, we use tons of other words in Christian use, like season, or, oh, you're just in that season of life, or, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. But we don't use this word shalom, and to be honest with you, it would be a little strange if you just rolled up and you're like, shalom. <laughs> but that is precisely, in the Jewish tradition, what they do. Uh, if, if you see a rabbi, he will say, peace be with you, or shalom. And it kind of means the same thing, but it's the ultimate greeting because it's sort of like a chow. It's a hello and goodbye. So they say shalom when they greet you, and they say shalom when they leave. And at first glance, you're like, saving time, one word, good for you. But the meaning is way more profound than any of that. 
when you say shalom, you're not only saying peace be with you. Uh, peace is one half of shalom, and then the other half is actually wholeness. So there's this idea of not only peace be with you, but may you be made whole. How's that for a greeting? Like, that's a strong hello. <laughs> right? Not only peace be with you and peace to this world, but may you be restored. Like, all that hurt that you're carrying, all that guilt, all that shame, may you just be completely lifted up and made whole again. This is the word we should be using all the time, and especially in a world that we live in today. Like, shalom should be everywhere. And the other reason they say it at the beginning and at the end of a conversation is actually super symbolic and amazing. Uh, shalom begins in the garden in a book called Genesis. So Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. If you open it, there will be a table of contents. Right after that, you're in Genesis. And Genesis starts out with this beautiful seven-day creation story. It's a poem, and it's rich in metaphor. And basically, like, God lays out every step of creation. And then after each one, he says, it's good, it's good, and it's good. And that's the idea of the shalom. It begins in the garden, in Genesis, with Adam and Eve literally just hanging with God. Shalom. I love, so in a lot of church scenarios, they will talk about what's known as the fall, and that's where they eat this magical piece of fruit that somehow condemns us to hell for the rest of our lives. It's very confusing. We'll go through that some other week. <laughs> but after this fruit is eaten, and all hell breaks loose, uh, and this is the perfect version of Shalom, the scripture literally paints it this way. It says, God was walking in the cool breeze of the day, which I'm just picturing him in the, the coolest robe ever, just sort of sauntering down as the breeze hits him. He's not concerned. That's Shalom. That's peace. And the whole story of scripture from the beginning to the end is all about trying to get back to that peace. It's trying to go, here was the shalom, the cool breeze, that walk, that confidence of walking with the Lord. It's broken, and so the whole rest of this story from Genesis to the end of the Gospels, into Revelation, into all this stuff, is about bringing shalom back into the world. When Jesus talks about shalom, he talks about the kingdom. He uses different language because that's context in that context. Just like I wouldn't roll into the grocery store and say shalom, he uses this word kingdom to describe what he's bringing in, and this kingdom is designed specifically to bring this good news, this shalom, back into the world. And he does it in extraordinary, extraordinary ways. So we have shalom at the beginning, and then as Jesus dies on a cross, and this is so important, as he's hanging there, dying on a cross, his last words are, it's finished. And right before that, he literally looks down at the people who hung him on this cross. And oftentimes, you know, we look at this as like a fictitious story, but place yourself there for a moment. If this is real, and our Savior, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, is literally hanging on a cross because we put him there, and he looks down on us, and he says, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Dude, that's, that's way beyond me. That's powerful, powerful stuff. That's shalom. The peace and easiness to even in that moment, as he is strung up on the cross, to look in compassion at the other people and forgive them. Because at the root of peace is forgiveness. You cannot have peace without forgiveness. And so we talk about world peace a lot, and especially in, you know, in uh, beauty pageants, spaces like this. It's, it's a big topic of discussion. 
And that's great, and it's awesome, and we should be running towards world peace. Could you imagine if, if soldiers and refugees were able to come together and literally say shalom, right? Can you imagine if, if Russia and America were able to come together and say shalom? It would be an awkward conversation, but it, at least we'd be able to lay it all down. And that's peace, but unfortunately, when we just focus on peace, things get broken, and we see it all the time. We're striving for peace, and it just doesn't seem to ever come to fruition. It just doesn't seem to ever happen. Like, how many generations have gone on? Even the scriptures, those are like 2,000 years old, and there are stories of war and violence and oppression, all the stuff that we wreck it with. We're like, why is that in there? Why does God look violent in the Old Testament? Why does that stuff make the cut? And then we get to the New Testament, we see this like, Jesus who's just loving and caring and awesome. Why is there like this violence in the beginning and then this loving, caring, and then there's even violence like intermitted in there. Why does violence make the cut? I believe that violence makes the cut because the Bible is the story of us. The Bible is the story and the ongoing story of our daily lives from generation to generation to generation. And it would be inaccurate not to place that stuff in there but it's not there to glorify it. It's actually there to point out where we've gone wrong so many times. And thank God the Bible ends on a different note because love gets the last word. Grace gets the last word. So we're just talking about peace and we're going towards peace. Like, okay, what can we do politically to cause peace? What can we do in our neighborhoods to cause peace? We, that's a great, great idea and it's an awesome, honest pursuit but it falls short for one reason, shalom. Because peace is only one side of shalom. So it's like flying a plane with one wing. Like, you may get in the air, but you're gonna do a lot of circles and it's gonna crash hard. Because the other side is wholeness. So shalom is both peace and being whole. And that's gorgeous because it flips everything on its head. Instead of trying politically to fix the world, instead of trying with our leaders, with our prominent Instagram celebrities, with all that we have to try and change the world, Jesus presents this kingdom where it starts on the inside and then it moves to the outside. What he does, the whole template of the scripture, the whole Bible, the whole reason it's so hard for us as Americans and Westerners to understand this scripture is because like the template was designed for someone that we would actually oppress. And that's tough to reckon with in spaces like this, but like when oppressed people encounter the scriptures, they light up. This is where like liberation theology comes into everything. I mean, when people that are beaten down encounter Jesus's word, they go, oh my gosh, that's the way. There's a different way. It starts from the inside and it's moving outside. We're not gonna try and change things on the big picture. No, we're gonna start with the heart. We're gonna start with the individual soul because if people can be made whole on the inside, that's the whole fight. It's the whole battle. The Lord just entered the room, by the way. <laughs> if you can get fixed on the inside, and we're literally spending time with people saying, you know what, my whole goal here is not to fix the big sort of like public parts of your life but my whole goal is to invest in you and restore you. I want you to be the most whole that you can possibly be. And that's what God is doing every single day in our lives. That's the good news, guys. 
is that it starts small. It starts right in here. It starts with being made whole, right? So that's the countercultural version of how Jesus wants to fix everything and make everything new and how we try and fix and make everything new. They look drastically different, and Shalom brings the two together and says, no, 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 it's all about what happens here first. It's all about inner peace, something that starts on the inside and moves to the outside. I was, uh, like, fortunate and blessed enough, and we should announce this and rah-rah this. Do we have that picture uh, of, of Ty and Victoria? You can't see them. There's a wedding dress you can kind of make out. Uh, this is the first couple from Resonate to be married, so we can give that a like giant rah-rah sound of applause. And uh, you know, like marrying people, it, it's just like the most beautiful and incredible privilege. And I think I would have gotten through it a lot better if it weren't people that I was actually personally invested with. These are people that like have been here and have been in a small group that we've been doing, and I, I've had the privilege of walking them through some premarital counseling, I've really gotten to know them very well. And so like I had a whole chunk of my like wedding sermon that was like ready to go. And I made the mistake of like looking up from my notes into their eyes and they're both staring at me, just like crying, and I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> um, but I realized something in that moment. Uh, just like shalom is this thing that starts on the inside and moves to the outside, um, which is, you know, my total ADD. I'm in the middle of a wedding, I'm like, that'll work for the sermon tomorrow. <laughs> I, I realized that there, there are these things in the, the Christian tradition, they're called sacraments. Another big fancy word. Uh, but a sacrament is like what we'll do over here at the communion table later. Communion is a sacrament. Um, baptism is a sacrament. Ordination is a sacrament. Uh, these are all things that like, when we try to explain them with our words and our language, our words just kind of like fall flat. Our words aren't good enough. So we do what scripture does best, what God does best, and what Christians do best, and we point to metaphor. Because with metaphor and with symbols, we can try and get at what's actually going on. The actual definition of a sacrament, and it comes from the root sacred, but the actual definition of a sacrament is an outward sign of something that is going on within. It means I, don't, I can't really describe to you what it's like to like walk with God but it looks a whole lot like going to the table and having a seat where everyone is welcome. I can't really describe you what it's like to like give my life to Jesus, but it looks a whole lot like entering the water one way, being dunked in, and then coming out a new way. Right? These sacraments point us to a bigger picture. And there's one sacrament that until yesterday, I literally did not understand because it's an ongoing one and it seems like a big one, but that's marriage. Marriage made the cut as a sacrament. And I've always wondered why not like motherhood or fatherhood or best friends or you know, just, just general relationship. Why is it that marriage makes the cut as a sacrament and nothing else? And then I realized in that moment, like marriage is just, it's a, it's a outward sign of what's going on inside you, and it's one that you have to live with day in, day out, day in, day out. It's the only relationship that we enter into in which the way that we hold our fork could literally become a point of contention within the year that we get married. Like, it's, it's a willingness to walk into something difficult and go, yes, it's difficult, yes, it's hard. I think the Christian life is walking into something that is extremely difficult, but also monumentally beautiful gorgeous. 
It's an inward thing. But what happens inside us when we encounter shalom is we get changed, and so that changes everything on the outside. What happens in our hearts translates to the neighborhood. That's the beginning of the good news. Eugene Peterson writes in the message version of the Bible that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And if that's not good news, good Lord, I don't know what it is. But the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. When we encounter Jesus, those words become flesh and it moves into the neighborhood. That means we're good news, people. And too often, Christians are really not good news. It's true. But if we really take this stuff seriously and we take shalom seriously, this peace that God is trying to restore from the beginning of history all the way to the end, then that's what it's all about. And that includes everyone. I've done a, a, a great many things that have uh, gotten me in trouble in life. Um, <laughs> uh, not one of which is, is uh, writing things. And uh, I began writing things about like two years ago, and there's been a couple things that have gotten me in a lot of trouble with Christians. You can Google me, or we can have coffee, and we'll get into it. Uh, but most of all, I recognized that the stuff that was getting me in trouble was also affecting the people who had never encountered God the most. It was the stuff that was bringing people on the fringes, people I went to high school with, who like, you know, I mean, like would rather do a keg stand than come into a church. These are the people that were like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. It's like that? And you're like, yeah, man, it's like that. This is the good news. This is shalom. This is good stuff. But whenever the gospel is presented in that sort of a way, a sort of frenzy breaks out, and a frenzy in a good way. And I'm going to explain why this is validated, and it's in Scripture, it's in the Bible, so you can't get mad at me. Um, <laughs> let's go to the story of Zacchaeus. Um, and Zacchaeus is this adorable, <laughs> mostly because it's a tiny man climbing a tree, um, story that's found in Scripture. And uh, it, okay, let's just read it, and then I'll get into it. Um, this is out of Luke 19, 1 through 10. It says, this Oh, I'm sorry. That's my note that said this is hands down the most adorable scripture. Um, okay, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there, there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree, very specific, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this. And this is what I want us to hold on to. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And, I give, I, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he definitely had, I will pay back four times the amount. And then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's just a gorgeous story of someone who is so far from God and yet 
runs up a tree just to get a peek. And I, I think the main takeaway that we can take from this story is that if we earnestly seek God and we just want to climb a tree just to get a little peek of him, we may just find ourselves like with him inviting himself over for dinner. <laughs> like way, like in way too deep. Because if we're earnestly seeking, we're going to find something really, really big. Now, let's do some context here because this, this story could just be, you know, noted as a very cute story of someone climbing a tree to see Jesus. But the, the motive behind this is actually really incredible. So he's a tax collector, which we've talked about this in this space before, so I won't waste too much time doing this. But, like, tax collectors were kind of the worst of the worst in that day and age. Like, they were the guys that not only were they um, sort of violating human rights by entering into someone's home and saying, hey, you need to give X amount, and that X amount would fluctuate to whatever they want. They were so bad that in this ancient context, they, they made most of that rural population on the brink of starvation. Like, they were, they were taking so much that the people could barely live off of what was left. They would just come in and say, all that you've made, it's mine. You can keep that little bit for yourself so that you can actually survive, but everything else has come with me. And not only is he this tax collector, but he's the chief tax collector. So this little guy is just this little mob boss who's roaming around and telling people to take all the money that they want, and then I'm going to get a cut of it. And he's extremely wealthy because of this. Not only that, but the way that the Roman Empire was designed, and they are sneaky people. <laughs> they would go and they would pick a local to become the tax collector. It was never a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier would come with the tax collector, but the Romans were never the ones to go in and demand the money. It was always one of their own. They would go in and demand the money. So not only are you this extortionist, but you're also a traitor. And that's the guy that Jesus comes to. And this story, he's, he's too short to see over the crowds. There's basically this big parade coming because this guy, Jesus, has rolled into town. And he's curious. He's like, what is this all about? I've got to get a glimpse of this man. And I love that he doesn't use power or might because if he's of this stature, he could have just said, like, to his goons, like, hey, move everyone out of the way. I'm going to get a closer glimpse. But somehow God calls him into something else. He calls him into climbing a tree. And if that seems like a foreign idea to you, it's because you've never been a tiny man. <laughs> I can tell you, one of the greatest thrills and pleasures of my life is climbing up dangerous things. Do we have those pictures, David? Um, this is me. My wife hates this. Uh, this is me in Paris at our Airbnb. I found that you could get up onto the roof, so I decided to climb and get a better view. It was spectacular, and my wife almost had a heart attack. Uh, the next one, this is me on the top of a very steep mountain, and you can't see it. This would be a timeless photo if it weren't for the fact that I wore this really outrageous Hawaiian shirt in it. So one day my kids would be like, why did you do that? <laughs> uh, but that's all because there's this insatiable drive, and I think it's just a human drive to try and get to a peak to see the most that you can possibly see. There's something inherent in that. There's a reason that rooftop restaurants and bars thrive. There's a reason that we take hikes. There's a reason that we take helicopter tours. All of that is because we want to get to a point where we can see and things can become clear. And what Zacchaeus is doing in his life, he's wrestling with these two sides of himself. I'm both a Hebrew and I'm a tax collector. I work for the Romans, but I'm here. I'm wrestling with all of this stuff I just want to get a better view. I just want to see clearly for the first time. And there's a tree, and it's a sycamore fig tree. And why do they leave those details in there? Whenever you encounter something like that, Google it. It's like profound. The sycamore fig tree. Sycamore trees were a symbol for sin. 
they were so despised that they were actually planted outside of the city. I don't know if you know this, but a sycamore fig tree does not exist. (laughs) So the fig tree, what's that? Candle. The fig tree is a symbol for studying the Torah. So uh, when when Peter comes to Jesus and he says, uh, how do I know that you're Lord? He basically says, I saw you underneath the fig tree, which means I saw you as you were studying Torah, which means I saw you in the word because I am the word. And when Zacchaeus climbs this tree, he's not only climbing this tree of sin, but he's climbing Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. He's climbing the story of Shalom. And the way that Jesus encounters him is not a public display. There could have been a moment where he halts the parade. He says, everybody watch this. I'm going to talk to this man. But it's very, he stops, doesn't stop the parade. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to be a guest in your home. Not out here. In your home. It's inward. Because I'm going to take you inside, and that's where the change is going to happen. And it's so profoundly powerful that Zacchaeus literally says, in the home that they're standing in, I'm going to sell this. And if I've wronged anyone, I'm going to give back four times. If we're honest, like, I don't know if I've encountered a God like that. I don't know if I've truly taken this stuff that Seriously, but Zacchaeus did. When he meets Jesus, he goes, I'm, none of this matters anymore. And the profound part of that shalom that happens inside and it moves outside, that's literally, this happens inside of a home and it affects the entire community on the outside. People are about to get paid four times what he stole from them. He's going to sell his home. He's going to pay everyone back their debts. Can you imagine what kind of good news that is to the community? They're like, And I look at the world that we're in today, and I wonder that if a character like Zacchaeus, or whatever your least favorite politician is, or whatever your, like, your, the thug down the street, or the school bully, whatever it is, if they actually encountered Jesus, if they encountered God, and they decided to change their mind, would we actually forgive them? There's another character in the story that's not mentioned, but it's the crowd that Jesus leaves when he goes into this house. It's us. And when Zacchaeus comes out into the community, the crowd has to do the hard work of saying, we forgive you. We're willing to see that you're changed and we're willing to accept you. I don't know if they do. If the person that we struggle with the most, that we despise the most, truly did repent and said, I'm sorry, do we have room in our cultural currency to actually forgive them? To actually say, no, okay, you get it. I'm sorry, too. Shalom. I'm going to walk with you in this perfect wholeness and peace. Guys, that's what this Christian life is all about. It's forgiving the people that are the hardest to forgive. Because only when that happens can we truly have peace. It's the whole deal. It's shalom. It's from Genesis to Revelation. It continues now. So, May we be agents of shalom in our communities, at our jobs, in our schools, on our walks. May we be shalom in the neighborhood because that can change everything in a real way. We're going to experience uh, a sacrament this morning. We're going to experience communion. Um, and so, like, row by row, you guys can come down. Uh, you can dip the hollow or these gluten-free options because... We're like that. Uh, into the uh, 
grape juice here or wine. And uh, if you guys have prayer requests, we seriously, we take that very seriously. What Michelle said was perfect. Like, we love to pray for you. So if you guys have prayer requests or anything that's going on in your lives uh, or comments about the service or anything you'd like to get involved with, uh, especially if this is your first time here, just go ahead and put your email down. We send out a once-a-week email, but that'll keep you linked in to everything we're doing here. Um, and you can place that in here. Also, we're a small community, and I do this full-time. So if you guys ever want to grab coffee, um, grab a drink, whatever, a meal, I am so thrilled to be able to do that. So you can put that on that card as well if you're interested in getting coffee or anything like that, and uh, you can pop it in here as well. Um, this place is sacred. It's a sacrament. It's an inward sign of what's going outward. And something we take intentionally, very, very seriously, is that everyone is welcome at this table. So if you would like to partake in communion, please do. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, if it's like your first time at church, by all means, just take a seat and, uh, and enjoy the music. We're going to spend some time in worship. Let me pray for us as we keep going. Lord, I'm uh, just extremely grateful for your peace, your shalom, and I'm grateful for that tiny tax collector that climbed that tree so that we have a perfect picture of what your change can actually bring about in the most peaceful way possible. Uh, we love you. I want to experience you this morning in communion. Amen.